It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And the big news of today is Ohio State will be playing Missouri on December 29th in the Cotton Bowl. No playoff. Second time in the Ryan Day era that Ohio State has failed to make the college football playoff, which felt like it was known going into Sunday. It's just, it's kind of laughable how out of the conversation they were and compared to some other teams who were maybe friends to playoff. Obviously, it's going to be Michigan against Alabama at the Rose Bowl and then Washington at Tech and Texas playing in the Sugar Bowl. Ohio State once again playing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. We did talk to Ryan Day, though. Not directly after, but later on that afternoon after that announcement and the playoff announcement and all that. And there was a lot to get into because we hadn't talked, Nathan, to Ryan Day since Ohio State's lost to Michigan almost two and a half weeks now. And let's just start with the biggest thing I think that came out of this day in terms of us talking to Ryan Day. And that's that Ryan Day got asked a couple of different ways whether or not Kyle McCord is the starting quarterback, whether that means in the future or just for this bowl game, and Nathan, he didn't necessarily say yes or no. Very open-ended. Like, seemed like he's very open-minded to what's happening going forward. And it's two different questions, because he was asked both is, uh, well, he was asked a lot of different things regarding quarterback. Were you happy, generally, with the quarterback play this season? Were, do you expect Ryan, or do you expect Kyle to be the starter going into next season, and then how are you handling quarterbacks for the bowl game? And all three of those things are related. They're all also kind of separate answers. And I think he pretty diplomatically answered a lot of those, but what he didn't ever really do was give an emphatic backing to Kyle McCord. And I'm not trying to go too far with that, like overstate what that means, because he did obviously couch it in the language of, what is always happening this time of year, which is you're reevaluating the bowl season is where young guys naturally often step up and do things. You are probably taking a f- somewhat fresh look at all the quarterbacks, and it could be four of them under scholarship you know, on your spring roster. So you're you know, projecting out a few months into the future on that to to say today with all certainty that Kamakord will actually absolutely be your starter on opening day next year. Um, 
kind of hastens the departure of at least one of those quarterbacks, right? So that wouldn't have Mm -hmm. been especially intelligent on his part, and that's why he didn't say that, I think. Like, there's no reason not to treat it as sort of an open question because it's not, as we've often said, whether Kyle McCord set the world on fire as a quarterback this year. It's there's a standard at Ohio State. Who can best meet that standard? I think they decided, obviously, they decided this year that that was Kyle McCord. That was a guy who was closest to being able to meet that standard. I think a new assessment has to take place. And I think Kyle McCord could very well end up being the guy who wins that that conversation again the second time through. It was interesting, though, to me that he wouldn't say, because he is saying multiple times today, talking about the value of winning this game, like winning the Cotton Bowl, beating Missouri, finishing with a win, like all those things have value. You don't beat, win that game, then maybe you fall out of like being a top 10 team, obviously. There's ramifications, like even just like optics ramifications to not winning this game. And it did obviously get, also was a springboard into the offseason. So they want to win this game. But then it keeps coming back to, well, we're going to evaluate to see who gives us the best chance to win that game. That was what I thought was the most interesting thing. Not really so much what he's talking about for next year. Next year is a very distant conversation. And much more interested in how open he was talking about what the quarterback thing was going to be for this year. Because I even asked him. He had already had a couple questions. And then I... Wasn't sure I heard him right. So I was like, I was clarifying, like, so are you saying that there could be a share of reps in the Cotton Bowl? Or are you saying that Kyle is your starter? You know, you, you, it just, this will be treated just like any other game. And he said, I'm not ready to go there yet. So that's actually not that far away. And you would think that you would come out of the season with it is something that's that close with more of a concrete idea. That was the one that is kind of sticking in my head to be like, um, how far from the standard do you now feel like McCord was? And do you feel like someone like Brown, if you gave him a, a bigger look in this game, not only would it help you make a decision later on, do you think it would actually help you win this game? I, I just thought it was, he, he opened the door for those sorts of conversations. I thought, by the way, he answered these questions. Andrew, this is not fair to ask you this question, but oh, well. I'm going to ask it to you anyway. How do you think the quarterback position is going to work in the Cotton Bowl? Like, how, If I had to ask you right now, how many quarterbacks take a meaningful snap in the Cotton Bowl? How many would you guess right now? I'm going to say two. I think the, the interesting thing here is the way that you kind of have to approach every quarterback room is that one guy is going to leave at some point is that just every year somebody's going to go, whether that's to the NFL or that's to the portal, just one guy's gone. And I think two are going to play. So the question would be if Devin Brown decides to transfer and go somewhere where he has a starting job available, I still think you play Lincoln Keenholz for whether that's a couple drives here, you do the Indiana game plan where it's like, you know, or something similar to it, I should say, where there's like two or three drives maybe in the second quarter to get him some reps because it's, it's about experience at this point, because let's say that, you know, let's say that Devin Brown is there and he plays in the cotton bowl or whatever he could go and then all of a sudden your quarterback room as we've discussed is 
Comacord, you got freshman Aaron Olin, sophomore Lincoln Keenholz, or second year Lincoln Keenholz, I should say. And then you kind of got some questions. So I think you got to play, I think you got to play two guys, whether that's Keenholz or Brown, and it could depend on who's going to be here. I, I think you got to play two just to kind of get the experience level up. You want to see what you have with Devin. I think they're, and I think they're two different conversations. I think if you play Devin Brown, you're playing Devin Brown in a, all right, kid, let's see what you got. Like, this is the opportunity. This is, you don't want to say meaningless game, but it's a game that you can, it's more of an exhibition and you can test some things out with Devin Brown to see what you got going into spring ball. And with Lincoln Keenholz, I think it's more of a, we're going to get your feet wet and let you play some reps against an SEC team, a team that won 10 games, a team that as we, I mean, we, we saw this with Eli Drinkwitz and the way that Missouri is kind of reacting to this. This is a huge deal for Missouri. Like this is a very big deal for Missouri and Missouri is very excited to be in this game. So like putting Keenholz into that environment would be, I think good for him. So I think you play two and I think it's for different reasons. McCord would play. And then if you're going to play Devin Brown, you're playing him because you want to see what he can do as it relates to the starting quarterback job. But if you're going to play Keenholz, you're playing him because you might go into the 24 season with Keenholz as your backup. And you are now one snap away from Ohio State starting quarterback Lincoln Keenholz. And you don't want that if he has nothing experience wise under his belt. So I think you're going to play two guys. And it's just going to end up being for whatever reason that you deem is, is most important in that situation. Nathan, you agree with that? That regardless, two guys will play meaning, a meaningful snap on December 29th. Well, I think at the very least, they would probably have to revisit the, the Devin Brown package, right? That's what I was expecting that you would probably see that put back in. I don't know that I would jump right over Brown to, to make sure that Keenholz had a big role. Um, I mean, Brown is the one that pushed, to have the starting job this summer pushed it into the start of the season and I think you have to come out of this process with some indication of where you stand with him you owe it to him to tell him where you stand with him because if it is a it is a gap going into next spring then it's probably time for him to go somewhere else again that's we don't like to speculate on those things but it's just it's it's where it is it's it's they've put they've made the quarterback room this way so you kind of have to talk about it in a little bit more open than we would in any other position uh, he's the one that would seem of this roster to be the closest to challenging to start next year if that really is something that's on the table uh, i think they like what lincoln keenholds is we did not get an indication from Ryan Day that he showed up this summer ready to be a college quarterback. He did a couple things when he was in at the end of games, but there's only so much stock you can put in that. And you've got a guy coming in behind him that's pretty great too, in Aaron Olin, right? Like there's there's no there's no guarantee that at the end of the spring we're looking at these four quarterbacks and necessarily thinking Keenholz is second on that list or even third if all four of them are still here. So to me, it's more of a Devin Brown conversation. It's you, you only saw little glimpses of him. You thought he was farther behind McCord to start the year so much so that even when you were sharing the job, you didn't really give him a big part of it. So how much are you willing to let him, would you treat this game like you treated those first games of the season, like the Indiana game? Would you treat it like a, a more of a timeshare? I don't think they want to do that. 
I think they think, I think Ryan Day thinks that would be detrimental to trying to win the game. So I don't really know what what this would look like other than if you were to just if if somebody else could would would elevate to number one. Like I don't I don't know what it would look like if you were just if you start mixing them up back and forth. Um that doesn't seem to be the way that they have wanted to play any other game that was on the line the same way. Maybe they would. Uh I'm just I guess I came out of today uh very um, unsure, like even more clouded as to what Ryan Day actually assesses of the guys who are on this roster right now. So right now, the expectation for the spring room is a five-star quarterback who has started 13 games for you and looked good, but not great. And Ohio State's quarterbacks need to be great. You've got a third-year former top, top 50 recruit who's played 87 snaps in his career, probably would have played a few more. This year, had he not had the ankle injury earlier in the season that knocked him out, I do wonder if Devin Brown doesn't get hurt earlier in the year, does do they pull that package out against Michigan? That's an interesting thing there because Michigan pulled it out and Ohio State thought they had solved some of the red zone issues with the Devin Brown practice. Now, that red zone issues weren't the issue against Michigan, but I do wonder if they would have pulled that out against Michigan a little bit more often. And then Lincoln Keenholz, a second-year top 200 recruit who played 20 snaps this year, and then as you mentioned, Aaron Nolan, a five-star recruit. Right now, they don't. if that room holds up, they don't have room to take a transfer scholarship quarterback because they want four in the room and they would have four in the room. That math could change depending on especially what Devin Brown decides to do in this situation, which I think is he's the interesting piece here because we could spend the next month, Nathan, coming up with every hypothetical of like, okay, how's this going to work out for the spring? How's this going to work out for the Cotton Bowl? What's gonna, how's this going to play out? And Kyle McCord can just be the starter for the Cotton Bowl and they start from scratch in January and it's an open competition. But with the understanding that you're the guy in the front has played 13 games for you as a starter and no one else has started the game, but it's an open competition or chaos. What if Devin Brown spends the next month taking a significant step in a way that he's the starter when the Cotton Bowl plays? So, but that's the thing. Like, I want to make sure I don't want to get too far with my skis here. I want to make sure that I'm not alleging that chaos is about to break out. My point was more that, listen, Ryan Day said they had a practice last week. He said, we're going to have one this weekend. So assume that means this coming weekend. They're not going to have one over the next few days. I know the finals and stuff are going to be going on here pretty soon mm-hmm. as well. So so once, or is the insinuation that once bowl practice starts, that Devin Brown would like, jump ahead of Kyle McCord in that time. There's a part of me here that thinks that this is just part of a, a, a broader overall message to that you're that you're establishing. That it's more say all these things that Kyle McCord did. I mean he legitimately did get better over the course of the year. There were good moments. The Notre Dame game. There there was other important moments. Are you just is this all just about kind of keeping an edge in that room? Is this all like the most like I guess I would still expect Ryan Kyle McCord to start and be the normal starting quarterback for the Cotton Bowl. Like that just seems like the most normal process that would unfold here. And if because they value winning that game so much, and he just a couple of weeks ago 
was the guy who clearly was doing that for you to the point, and also to the point where we actually, the other important thing about that's going on with Devin Brown right now is just what is his health status with that ankle and Mm -hmm. what has to come next with that. And does that put him in a position to come out and have a full normal bowl season or does it need to be treated in some way? I, I don't know that answers were sitting here today. It's just a lot of, this is more speculation than I usually like us to just be kind of flailing on. But it was just an interesting way for him to talk about that room. And I, I do think that that before we get too far down the road of, well, maybe this is who he would talk about moving. This is who he's really talking about trying to move up. I think it's, there is, I do think it might just be more about setting the tone in the room and setting a agenda in the room that, you know, they, there was improvement there. He said today, I think Kyle McCord is a good quarterback. He, he isn't like criticizing or, or what do I want to say? Like he's not dismissing what happened this year, the improvements he made this year. I think it's more of setting a message in that room that that, wasn't still good enough for the Ohio State standard. That standard has to be met in the next year. If it if it's Kyle McCord improving to get there, that's fine. If it's somebody else overtaking him, that's fine too. I guess I'm just skeptical that that would happen in just a a, a, a two week period or whatever before the bowl game happens. Probably not. Like like that's why I said chaotic. That that's the most outlandish possible thing that could happen. The, the, the safe, like I said, the safest thing that's probably going to happen is Kyle McCord is going to be the starter, and he's going to be the guy who plays most of the reps. That more than likely is how this is going to play out here. I just we haven't seen him keep it so open ended at quarterback really ever. Because even with the Justin Fields thing, it was more like, yeah, okay, like this is all cool, but it's it's coach speak. It's literally coach speak. We know who the starting quarterback is going to be. It's going to be Justin Fields. And then the other times, even with the competition in twenty twenty one. While it was a competition, I think we all were in a, agreement at some point that, like, C.J. Stroud, this is C.J. Stroud's job to lose. This is a very different place for Ohio State to be in and Ryan Day specifically to be in where you have a returning starting quarterback. And you don't – at least you didn't voc- vocalize in a way that you have full confidence that this is your guy going forward. And – yeah, this is a longer conversation for a longer pod, but the way I'm thinking about it is we've seen other programs be in this position and that guy wasn't the starting quarterback by the end of the year, the following year. So is that on the table in this season, in this scenario where Ohio where Ryan day has specifically recruited a room in a way where if you're wrong, you can pull the plug. So, and that's maybe getting, that's not going to all get decided in the next 30 days here. So maybe that's a bigger topic that we can cover in the off season, but it it is, it's something worth noting when Ryan day verbatim gets asked, did you get out of the quarterback position? What you needed to get out of this year? And he gets asked is, is Kyle McCord your starter going forward? And to neither of those questions, did he say yes? A couple other just newsy things that have happened before we take a quick break here. There have been some transfers since the last time you heard our voices. Uh, Nathan, I think one defensive back, a defensive lineman, and the most recent one is a running back. Who, who did Ohio State lose, is expected to lose in the portal when it opens up as people are listening to this podcast on Monday? Yeah, it, so Monday is when it opens. It's, it's one day after the um, selection Sunday. Uh, Omari Abor was the first player to announce his intent to enter the portal. I think that surprised nobody. 
that <laughs> that was one that had been telegraphed, I think, for a while. It was, you know, it didn't seem like he was all that happy here, and he wasn't playing a lot, and it, most of that was injuries. But we've just said so many times, when it's a guy, when it's a national recruit, and the playing time doesn't come pretty quick, you you go on transfer watch because uh, it's tougher to be farther away from home and not play. Uh, second guy was Cam Martinez, and again, that one I don't think caught anybody by surprise. We had even been speculating amongst ourselves, you know, is that someone that needs to move somewhere where they can have a, a, a defined role or, or maybe an undefined role? Maybe there's a place that can use him more as an all-purpose guy than Ohio State was ever able to. It just didn't seem like he was in the long-term plans. We don't know what Jordan Hancock is going to do, but if you look ahead to a 2024 where Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock both come back, it's very likely that there was just no place for, for Cam Martinez at that, at that nickel spot. So obviously best of luck to him. Cause I think he was a guy who tried to stick it out here and make a role happen. And it just never really materialized for him. And then Evan Pryor today was the one that I was a little bit surprised by not, there are some things here that the, where the Abor thing applies as well. You're talking about a guy from North Carolina who um, hasn't been able to play a lot also because of injury this year though. I mean, he was fourth on the depth chart. I don't know if this tells us, it gives us any indication that he knows what Trevian Henderson is thinking, because when we looked at this on paper, we were like, well, uh, you know, this sets up for like Dallin Hayden and Evan Pryor to be at the top of this room next year if, if Trevin Henderson mm-hmm. leaves and Mayan Williams is leaving and Chip Trainum's I think graduating out of things uh, you know it it you take the top off of this and yes there's a couple guys coming in in this recruiting class but it puts him in a him in a position to have had a much bigger role for whatever reason he is deciding to to move on and maybe there's a a, a program where his skill set also fits better just because uh, a program that maybe would use its guys out of the backfield more consistently as receiver, that sort of thing. So those are the three that we know of thus far. Those are all people sort of announcing their intent to enter the portal, which again, isn't happening as we are recording. This hasn't happened yet, but we can assume that we're going to see more in the coming weeks. And then obviously there's a whole nother set of them that comes after the spring, because there's guys right now who are still relatively young who probably going to take their one last shot at, at mm-hmm. getting in, you know, rising the depth chart. And when they come out of the spring and see that that's not going to happen, you typically see a, a handful more guys go in there. So uh, we're just, we're on watch for it. And I'll do the, I'll do my usual plug here. 614-350-3315. Anytime something happens in or out of the portal. And sometimes we're just talking about speculation. Like, hey, here's a guy who just, um, announced into the portal at a position that Ohio State really needs or a guy that Ohio State used to recruit and he picked somewhere else and now he's back open again. Like those sorts of things, we'll be pointing those out and texting about them. So two-week free trial is all I'm saying. It'll get you through a lot of bowl prep and a lot of uh, just transactional things going on right now. I do wonder if the Evan Pryor one, this is, I'm just wondering about a kid who, it's been rough two years here for Evan Pryor as he's dealt with injuries. And I do wonder, sometimes it's just, you want to, maybe you just want to press the restart button. 
to start fresh somewhere else. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if maybe that played a, a role into how he made this decision. One last thing, Andrew, Ryan Day did get asked a bunch of portal questions today, though, both in people leaving his program, but also potential people that they're maybe going after in the program. We touched on quarterback and we touched on the guys leaving. What else did Ryan Day have to say about how Ohio State might be attacking the portal this offseason? Well, he, you know, somebody asked him a question. Um, I believe it was Spencer Holbrook of Letterman Row. I, I could be wrong. I believe it was Spencer, though, who asked him, like, has your portal philosophy changed? And Ryan mentioned, like, look, you got to go into the portal looking to make your team as good as you can every year. And I think that, you know, I mean, I would look at a guy like Davis and Ignosen as kind of an, a great example of that of what you can do to enhance your roster. I think there are a lot of people out there who might look at the portal as maybe like you look at an NFL team where, you know, the NFL draft is your recruiting. You know, that's where you want to have your lifeblood. That's where you want to build out your strongest classes. You want to get in the kids early when they're freshmen, and then you want to supplement with the portal. That's not really the way that some of these programs approach this. And, you know, I know people are always going to worry about portal transfers, but like you, we're still in the time where COVID hasn't washed out yet. And Ohio State has 22 commits coming in in the 2024 class that are currently like committed to Ohio State. And uh, to repeat what Nathan said, uh, if you're a tech subscriber, you'll know who Ohio State's trying to flip. There are a couple other guys that Ohio State's after. So the class is probably not going to sit at 20 or 22 um, in terms of commits. So like it's simple math, you know, you're, you're bringing in a handful of, you know, freshmen, you're bringing in over, a, you know, over 20, maybe 25 ish freshmen this year in, in this recruiting class, you're just going to run out of numbers. And there is a conversation to be had at some point with players where you got to sit them down. And this, I mean, this happens where you can say, Hey, you're passed over, you know, you're, and players can see that too. So you got to be aggressive in the portal. And I think Brian Day's kind of comments, while not saying that explicitly, I think they did back that up that, you know, Ohio State does want to be in the portal um, in terms of, you know, they want to be in the portal aggressively. They want to go after guys that can help their roster. They want to go after guys that can add to their roster. And I, I, I look at this as just a time that you might have looked at this and it sounds like Ryan Day and Ohio State maybe did. And I think a lot of college football did for the first year or two. You know, you wondered what how what the portal uh experience was going to be, if you will. You wondered how many guys you could really take and you wondered how this was going to work. And I think now, especially with some, you know, real life examples of Ohio State guys, you can find guys in the portal that you can find a miss, you know, like Vic Cutler enters the portal. He was here one year and it's just did it just didn't work out for him and and he's going back into the portal. And you can find great hits like Davis and Igbenosin. So I think Ohio State's going to be aggressive, and I think that that's that's what I would say, and that's what I would agree with. That that's the way you have to approach it. We forgot about Vic Cutler, who was How here for. Oh, <laughs> did forget about Vic Cutler. Yeah, it's my fault. It's fine. Yeah, he. I, I wouldn't even call that a miss, though. I, I feel no. like he did what he was supposed to do this year. He came and provided depth yes. at a at a time <laughs> when the when the line. Um, was very bereft of it, and they needed some just older guys to to be ready if disaster struck. Frankly, and that's still—I mean, offensive line is still. I did a I did a piece for the site, kind of ranking 
where Ohio State needed the most portal help. And I still had offensive line number one, but only because I split up defensive end and defensive tackle. If you put those two together, I think they become number one. And there's also still more uncertainty at those two positions. Like if you get one or two guys to stay who could leave, you're you're a lot more stable there. Offensive line, you could upgrade any position on that offensive line if, if you could, I think, right? So mm-hmm. that's the one where I think in, in terms of the gap between where there is you where is known championship talent. That's still the one where if if it comes open, they still have to be aggressive and, and try to get involved. And they, that has not worked in their favor these last couple cycles. Well, as we're recording this pod, I wanted to break this news on we're the asking, podcast because this happened yeah, as we're recording. What luck, and, huh? As we're talking about the portal. Yep, yeah, as exactly. Yeah, as we're talking about the portal, we'll add another name to that list from the defensive back room, Ryan Turner, uh, a kid from Southern Florida, actually the same high school as Kenyatta Jackson, current second-year defensive lineman, and then five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith down there in, in Florida, who's been here for two years, hasn't necessarily had a role. He's transferring as well. So, Nathan, that's another hit to the depth in that defensive back room because we're not really – he was he's a cornerback, but he's been playing that nickel yeah. role. So it kind of is a it's kind of a double double whammy there in terms of depth for Ohio State. I was I was once referred to as Diet Bill, and I think he might be like Diet Hancock. Like he he was mm. uh, the guy that they used in that same capacity in theory, but it didn't really turn into like more playing time for him. And I think the bigger situation there is you did see Jermaine Matthews take a big jump forward. You don't know what's going to happen with Hancock. You also saw Calvin Simpson Hunt come in and not make a big impact because he didn't get here till the summer, but they know what's coming with him. I think they're confident in where his career is going. You also return Davis Digmanosin. So it just becomes a numbers thing. Like if if you don't know for sure that you can even make the two deep after this coming spring, going into next year, I that's when guys move. That's just just the natural order of things. So it's it's it, it, just a couple years ago, and they would lose guys like this occasionally a couple years ago, and it would it seemed like a big problem because you were always hoping that next guy could hit. And right now, they have stabilized that cornerback room in in important ways. And Hancock staying for another year would be massive for that room. But also, even if he doesn't, I you know. I think Jermaine Matthews is ready to be the starter on the other side. This is all assuming Denzel Burke leaves as well. Mm-hmm. But I think Jermaine Matthews is ready to be the starter on that other side across from McMinnison. And Simpson Hunt is coming. And you do have the portal where you could bring in someone of, of similar stature, probably. Like, you know, you sometimes lose a younger guy who is going for playing time. And then you sometimes can gain an older guy who's trying to just level up and be part of a Ohio State experience late in his career when kind of like a Vic Cutler although I think they'd be aiming higher for that at cornerback they they wouldn't have to take they could they would they could take someone better who who would better fit in that room you also Jair Brown still in that room who I forgot started against Brown, Wisconsin yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. that that's more out of sight out of mind just cuz he has been dealing with injuries for most of this year so the yep. they've got options there they've got some options even if with Denzel Burke assumingly gone now we'll see but we're expecting him to be gone and Jordan Hancock being draft eligible as well the, the rest of the room is guys who are second and third and first year guys who might be ready to take a step in the next year we're going to actually take a break this time 
assuming Andrew that nothing else has happened in the last thirty seconds. Not that here. I've seen. Okay, cool. We're, We're gonna good. take a break here, and when we come back, Ryan Day got to ask some stuff about his aggressiveness, how he handled the Michigan game, but then also some staff stuff of how is he going. You know, whether the Jim Knowles had some had a is been a candidate on some places, but also how is Ryan Day going to handle this staff going forward? So we'll get into that stuff when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get the text 614-350-3315 when we were talking with Ryan Day after it was announced that Ohio State will be playing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th. We were texting that, plus a bunch of other stuff. Nathan, let's start with the aggressive Ryan Day talk because, as I said, this is the first time we've talked with Day since that loss to Michigan, and you were asking questions. Doug was asking questions about the way Ryan Day handled some things in that game and it was all put in the same bubble of hey last year coming out of this game you said you were gonna let it rip you were gonna be aggressive yada 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 and then we get back to that game and it didn't feel like you would do it especially on that you know fourth and two at the end of the first half what were you asking about that that let's start with that and what did he what was his answer to your question about some of that stuff so my question there's actually two words that are involved in my question we brought them up before they came out of his mouth at this time last year he came in after the Ohio State lost to Michigan and was getting ready to go play Georgia and he used the terms loose and aggressive as to how Ohio State needed to play and lo and behold we saw that down at the Peach Bowl and it almost won them a national championship or got them into the national championship game at at the very least and the whole it was such a topic all season all off season was are we going to see loose aggressive Ryan Day 
where we're going to see him in Notre Dame, where we're going to see him against Penn State, and most importantly, we're going to see him against Michigan. And I don't think people – so it, there are, those two words are combined because he used them, and, as, and the way I phrased my question was like, it seemed like at the time you were laying out kind of a doctrine, kind of a, a mm-hmm. new mindset that the, that the program needed to have moving forward in all matchup games. That's what, how I heard him say it last year. It was mm-hmm. like, we just learned a lesson. We have to not be that way going forward. But loose and aggressive are, are related, but they're also two different things. And he, in answer to my question, I thought focused a little bit more on the question of loose because he said, I, I, I said, like, do you feel the team met that standard? And he said, going in, I felt like we did. I felt like we didn't overdo it. Certainly everyone knows that it comes down to one game every year. We live at 365 days in this building. So I think sometimes you can overdo it. I don't think we did that. So you look at everything you do and you look back on everything you do and try to figure out what didn't work. So we'll do it again this year and keep swinging. So that to me was an admission of what he was talking about last year was that they had just wound themselves a little too tight going into the Michigan game last year. And as far as what I was asking about, I that's what he was answering. It wasn't really about going forward in certain situations because that is a little bit more nuanced. That isn't just, well, we're just going to go for it every time it's fourth down in short. Like th- there is more nuance to it than that. Mm-hmm. I was talking more about the the preparative mindset and the the mindset that you take off the bus into that stadium that day. And he, in his estimation, thinks that that was that they did get there. And I think by the way they played, I think that's more or less true. I don't think they necessarily played tight that day. There was, you know, the Mechabuka drop. There was, I thought Kyle McCord played a little tight early, but that was kind of how Kyle McCord played in the first half or in the start of games at times early this year. It, it loosened up as things went along. So I don't know if that's just a, a, a correlation to the game. I think that's kind of something that was something, something he has to work out of his game overall. So I guess I agree with him there. But I also don't know that I agree with him in terms of his approach, because I think it's two separate things. One is how how the team shows up and what mindset they have. And then the other is your mindset and how you show up and how you choose to approach things. And when when you're past, I still keep coming back to everyone wants to make a big deal about the fourth down before the 52 yard field goal try. I am still stuck on the fourth and one on the second possession of the game. If you were loose and aggressive, you're the underdog in this game. You're the one with with a lot to lose and so much to gain. Um, and and so I guess Michigan had even more to lose in some ways, I guess, because they're you know in, in the driver's seat there and they're playing at home. Like, go for it there. Like, that's where you set the tone. That's where you could have changed the complexion of the game is go for it on that fourth and one and, and send a message. And that's where I thought when he didn't go for that, and I was sitting in that stadium. I was like, eh, that's not, that's not what he was talking about last year. That's not following through on what he was talking about last year. As much as it is nuanced on fourth down, I think that was an indication that he wasn't taught that what he talked about didn't come to fruition. And I, I think today in the way he was talking about those fourth down situations again, I, I think the door was open for him to say, I wish I had, I w- if I could have done it over again, I would have, I would have gone for it. Instead, he said, well, if we'd made the 52-yarder, 
again, which they did. He, uh, he did fielding did make it on the one that was that was the timeout was called. He's like, well, if we had made that again, uh, it wouldn't look as bad. And I don't think that's true. I think people would still question how he used that time where you're settling for a less likely outcome, but a safer outcome. Uh, I think people would still be questioning that, especially because they, there's a way it turns out you still would have lost the game either way. Yeah. You just lost 30 to 27. So it doesn't really change anything on the scoreboard. Um, He kept saying not over. They did it without overdoing it, which I do think that's fair because overdoing it is G Scott headbutting a Michigan player. And, adding on to the series of penalties you had that put you in a situation last year where you quite frankly couldn't go for it because you had to work your way up just to be able to get to fourth and short. Andrew, what did you think of his answers to the not going forward on fourth down, whether it was the early one in the game that Nathan's referring to or the one at the end of the half? Well, the problem, I, I, the thing with covering college football, Andrew, (laughs) The yeah, uh, as we were leaving, by the way, um, I was very upset with the playoff selection. As somebody, uh, as we talked about earlier today, with the four teams, I should say, and one of the other writers literally said that to me, Andrew. Welcome to the Ohio State beat. Now you are officially on the beat. Now that you've done this and you've done the whole playoff selection and you've done the whole bowl selection and everything, um, yeah, I, I read that as him kind of saying well it didn't work so you obviously have to second guess it whereas i disagree with that notion like at all times like just because something works doesn't mean you shouldn't second guess it or vice versa like if 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 you drive home from work and you go 125 miles an hour that doesn't mean you did the right thing it means you maybe you should think about it for a minute or if you drive home and you drive 10 miles an hour and you get home safe, well, maybe maybe you shouldn't have done that either. Like, there's a happy medium where you can think about this. And, and I just didn't agree with it because he was saying, well, you know, I thought it was better to, you know, I thought it was better because, you know, getting out of the half with three points. They hadn't attempted a 50-yard field goal all year. Like, that, I believe that was the first time that they had attempted a, a kick of 50 or more yards all year. And now you're going to try that? now you're going to now you're going to break this out and and I get what he's saying where it's like if he had made that field goal like let's say the timeout wasn't called the first kick did go through which to fielding's credit if the first kick did go through 30 to 20 like butterfly effect notwithstanding it's 30 to 27 Ohio State has the ball on its own 18 instead of having to go 20 yard line or whatever it was instead of having to go 80 yards for a touchdown, 75 yards for a touchdown, you really only got to get to apparently like the 35 and you can kick a field goal attempt. So I get what he's saying. I just don't agree with it because like Nathan was saying, I actually, I I'm with him. I have more problem with the not going for it on fourth and one because there is it. Like I understand the element of, ah, well, the analytics don't tell me this or the analytics don't tell me that or, you know, it's early in the game, so let's pin them. I, I, I get the reasons why you would kick it, and, and I understand all that. But you also have Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, something that really kind of struck me with his answer was, well, there was like, you know, 30, 30 seconds left, and, you know, I think there was like 38 
I would have to go back and look. I, it's been, it feels like it's been a year since the Michigan game happened, but there was like thir- whatever, 38, 40, whatever it was, seconds left at the end of the first half. And he was saying, well, we weren't going to have that much time to go get a touchdown. And forget getting closer to a field goal. You have some great receivers that you should trust. Yeah. To go get the, to go up and, and get a, and get a big play. Like you're under two minutes. The clock is going to stop. You had timeouts. Like you run, you get up to the line and run a play and you get a first down. Who cares if you don't score a touchdown? All of a sudden, what if a 52 yard field goal turns into a 34 yard field goal and then you got to kick it or maybe you score a touchdown. Like I, I just, I didn't like the lack of aggressiveness from the answer and from the actual play. And, and I mean, he said he believes he coached this year's Michigan game differently than he coached last year's Michigan game. And I, I, I just, I didn't get the, I didn't get the explanation because I, I understand where he's coming from. I just don't think because it went wrong, you should second guess it. I think you should second guess everything that you do. No matter if it's in a win or a loss, no matter if it's good or bad, you should always be looking. Was this the correct decision at all times? And I, I just don't agree with the results-based, uh, the results-based introspection, if you will. Sandra Gillis, ladies and gentlemen, a man who covers something that is based on results, saying you shouldn't be worried about the results. And Nathan, the last thing of an of immediate importance was we've all been wondering is the staff situation in I don't you can't really sugarcoat when we say the staff situation this is a a Parker Fleming being on the staff situation this is not the overall end all but he also Keenan Bailey has reportedly you know talked with I think Eastern Eastern Carolina is that right is it Eastern Carolina East East Carolina East I'm asking East Carolina yeah and this is now the second time that somebody's done that and that offends me personally which is why if you heard my tone it it was an asking (laughs) way and not in a I wasn't you know doubling down the way Jimmy was last week that was that was ridiculous but with East Carolina Keenan Bailey reportedly met with them but then also Jim Knowles reportedly is on a short list of candidates that Duke is looking to into as its next head coach. Now he might be on the lower end of that short it list of candidates, but he is at least on that list of candidates. Nathan, let's start with that first. The the fact that Ohio State has members of its coaching staff this year who are getting interest from other programs. That's a good thing, right? That's the sign of a healthy program. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. You, you want your assistant coaches to be in the mix for jobs. You want coordinators to be in the mix for head coaching jobs. You want position coaches to be in the mix for coordinator jobs and potentially head coaching jobs too. And Ohio State's had that. Like that's There's multiple guys on this staff that have interviewed for jobs or been in the mix for jobs in the past few years. And for Knowles, the context here is important. Knowles spent a long time at Duke. Like he was a a big part of kind of helping things get turned around there under David Cutcliffe and had some really good defenses, has head coaching experience. Like there's a lot of different things that if the if 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 Ryan Day left, the Ohio State equivalent of Jim Knowles, if there was someone who had been a head coach and now was considered the top 
coordinator in the country or one of the, the very few, like you would give that guy, an, that guy would get talked to. Right. So that was, the, he was a name. There was, there were, I think three names at, at the athletic maybe first reported that, um, I can't remember who it was actually first. I think it was the athletic first reported that he was, uh, had, they had talked to these three guys and that may be as far as it goes. I don't know. We have not gotten a lot of indications from Jim Knowles that he was burning to get back into the head coaching ranks opposite of, you know, someone like Justin Fry, who's very upfront about, yes, I want to be a head coach someday. Keenan Bailey wants to be a, a offensive coordinator and a head coach someday. Like he will tell you those things on the record. Like Tony Alford has pursued head coaching jobs. And I don't know that we've seen that same priority from Jim Knowles since he's gotten here. It's almost seemed like the opposite. That maybe one of the reasons Ryan Day brought him here was because it was a way to establish longevity here. He wasn't like the, he was the hot name on the market, but he wasn't the hot young name on the market. And I'm not trying to to disparage him as like some like old guy, but farther along in his career and not really looking to climb the ladder the way, frankly, Jeff Halfley very obviously was. Like he came here, had one great year as defensive coordinator, and then moves on to a head coaching job. I think they thought that Jim Knowles coming here would establish some longevity, and it's something that this defense has needed. Like you bounce from halfly to a year and some change of Kerry Combs and you got to make another change and it's like they they have to like get a system here that 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 can as much as this first to second year transition was important you're probably going to see an even bigger benefit from guys who came in last year or this year and it's the only system they've had for three or four years what do they do now in their third or fourth year that's an important thing for Ohio State so I don't know that I think that this will have a lot of legs. I think it made a lot of sense for Duke to talk to him. I think it makes sense for any head coach, the way that coaches are paid, to talk to those programs. We'll see if it, if it becomes anything more formal. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he, he was the head coach at, his, at Cornell, at his alma mater. Mm-hmm. Didn't have like a great record there, obviously. And he just doesn't strike me as someone who is, who wants to lead a program necessarily. That's just the vibe that I get when I'm talking to him and around him that I could be wrong, but it just doesn't, that's not what the vibe that I get when I talk to him. He, I think he likes this identity he has now. We'll see if Duke feels differently and wants, wants to make him the face of their program. Yeah. Cause I mean, money can change a lot of different things. You throw enough, sure. but it does seem like, this role is perfectly suited for him, both as like a football coach, but also just like Jim Knowles. As, you know, he's the head coach of the. De- this is his defense. Ryan Day is as hands off as he can be while still being yeah. the head coach. Listen, it, I know people have some grumbling about the way the Michigan game went from a defensive standpoint, especially if they couldn't get off the field on that last drive. I get it. I get it. There are, there are criticisms, valid criticisms to be made. But Jim Knowles can live in the zone of what he did in his first year and what he did this past year until mm-hmm. the end of his career and make a insane amount of money for a defensive coordinator at Ohio mm-hmm. State, right? Like he can, this is, if he lives in that range, he's going to be here a long time and be considered a very, very successful defensive coordinator. It's got to stay there. It's got to, you know, stay in this, in that zone. He's got to stay closer to this side of it than, than the, the first year. But, 
that's a that's a perfectly acceptable range long term for uh, for Ohio State to have the kind of teams it wants to have. I think Brent Venables might have been at Clemson for like a decade, I think, or close to it. That can easily play out here. While also the Brent stayed partially because he was work, waiting for the perfect job, which Oklahoma clearly was that. Yes, yes. I don't they, like that. I don't know if that's out there. This already might be Jim Knowles' perfect job. So we'll see what that situation. But that's yeah. that's decisions that are being made by assistant coaches to leave or not. There is at least one assistant coach on the staff, Nathan, that where it's like not necessarily completely on him of whether he's here or not next year. And Ryan Day did get asked about that. And he didn't say a name. He didn't say the way Austin Ward asked the question. He wasn't he didn't say, hey, Parker Fleming or hey, Corey Dennis or anybody else you want to throw on that list. But it's very clear. Fans know who we're talking about. When And Ryan Day knows who we're talking about. When we ask those types of questions, what is the timeline for until Ryan Day does make those decisions, especially now that this is not a team who needs the continuity because they're playing for a college football playoff? It's a fair question because I think we all expect them to come. Ryan Day had the opportunity today to say, I'm not planning to make any changes. It'll come from changes other people are making. He did not do that. Uh And now. In 2021, the last time there was a big overhaul, I mean, I can remember asking Kerry Combs after the Rose Bowl, hey, are you going to be back next year? And he's like, whoa, 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 I don't want to go there. And like people were trying to track down Matt Barnes to ask him after the game, and he wasn't too excited to talk to us about it. And my point is there were still guys on the staff at that point. It wasn't until we got back from California that we started, they started making official moves as to who was leaving the staff. I don't know if they're going to do that this time around. It's the the only thing that makes the timing a little bit urgent to me. In that case, you would have had to make a bunch of outside hires. And it made more sense to keep your staff together to go finish your signing class, then go play your bowl game. And this time, the guy in question, the guy most in question, is your special teams coordinator. And you, as soon as you, if you decide to make a change there, you can just put James Laurinaitis on the road and worry about who's going to coordinate special teams some other time, but get that guy out there on the road and let him do the things that you think could make him a special coach at this level. So that's where there is a little bit of urgency to it for me. And I think they were probably waiting till today to find out for sure through the weekend, make sure they're not going to the playoff. Cause I think if you're going to the playoff, maybe you don't make any changes until after that, that you, that is a little bit of a disruption here. The, whatever disruption there is, I think is less of consequence. But one thing that does hang out there is, you know, Keenan Bailey's going to keep getting these interviews because he's a very respected mind already in this sport. His, his, his reputation that he built in a short time at Ohio state is pretty sterling. And before that, he had, you know, glowing reviews from people at Notre Dame that I talked to when I did a piece on him last spring. And I don't know if this is the job he'll get, but he's going to get a job at some point someday because I think he needs to be a coordinator somewhere. So if they're waiting on that, too, that these things could play off of each other, I suppose, as to who they gave special teams to, because I think he's he's got some background there dealing with special teams and would be sort of maybe the natural one to just take it on if you were giving it to a position coach, smaller room, etc. But I think you could still make this decision and as far as a special teams coordinator and um, 
and get Laurinaitis out there on the road because only your 10 countable coaches can go on the road. So I think you could do that without having to know what your long-term situation is with other guys on the staff. And you're not hurting yourself in this recruiting class. In fact, you may even be helping yourself by getting James Laurinaitis more involved here in the closing weeks. Andrew, how valuable could that be, having James Laurinaitis to be able to be out here on the road for you, but also just just in general as a potential future linebackers coach here who has already shown some signs that he can be a pretty good recruiter? How important would that be to this Ohio State as it does get closer to signing day here, having that guy out on the road? Well, Peyton Pierce wouldn't be in this class if it wasn't for James Laurinaitis. Um, so there's one just – living, breathing example of, of what James Laurinaitis can do. I mean, getting him out on the road, everybody talks about him as a recruiter and what he can bring. Um, I think when you look at Laurinaitis, like Laurinaitis was at Notre Dame last year and you could see the interest of guys. Like I know Kingston ended up at Notre Dame, but you could see the interest of guys, you know, Peyton Pierce was one of them where they were interested in both schools and the interest started to flip a little bit as Laurinaitis comes over. I mean, he just carries a lot of weight having played at Ohio state, having played in the NFL, like just everything that he is about and everything that he is as a person just matters a lot on the recruiting trail. And that matters to kids, right? I mean, when, when your recruiting pitches come compete for national championships and try to get to the NFL, and then you have a guy sitting there who did just that. I mean, that matters a lot. So getting him out on the trail is, is a big deal. And I think, Nathan's right. Whatever you can do to get him in a position where you can maximize his talents and maximize what you can get out of him, I mean, that should be the goal, right? Like, that should be the emphasis of, of what you can get out of James Laurinaitis. Okay. Anything I missed? It was a newsy kind of type of day. Anything that I missed that Ryan Day brought up? There was the Michigan stuff that I thought was a little interesting to me. Somebody asked him, like, you're going to be in the playoff, you know, if this were a 12 team playoff, you know, mm-hmm. how would you evaluate, you know, things and, and how would you think about things? And he's like, well, we got to beat Michigan. Well, we have to beat, you know, we have to beat Michigan. And I did think that that was a little bit interesting. And, and maybe he'll have a different answer for that when we get into July and August, where, you know, obviously you got to beat Michigan in this program, but like, let's I mean let's face it like the the game is changing the sport is changing things are moving on like if Ohio State was in the same position it's in now you're still trying to win a national championship whether or not you're going to have to go through Michigan or not so and you have more cracks at it so I did think that that was interesting that he at least today was pretty adamant that he is not giving up that Ohio State Michigan meaning and I think we can all agree the meaning's going to change. And I, I, I thought that that was kind of interesting that he pretty immediately pivoted to, nope, I wake up every morning and I got to think about it. And everybody should be thinking about it every morning when you wake up. And if you're not, you shouldn't be part of this program. That to me was interesting. Um, Nathan, you, so. you've been pretty adamant about it's going to change. And you're right. It's going to change here. But his stance on that, how much of that is a result of a guy who has lost it three times? And so oh, sure. he's got to yeah. maybe still have that. Even if we're right and you're right, it's going to change what that game means in terms of your postseason and what you're able to do there. But he's not in a position right now where 
he's able to look at it from that standpoint just because he's already lost the game three times in a row. And listen, like, uh, Ryan Day didn't look like a happy guy today, right? Like, no. Ryan Day didn't look like no. a happy guy. He knew we were going to come in there and ask him questions about how they lost that game. He knows we're going to come in and ask him about, hey, which of your players aren't going to be around because you're playing in a game that doesn't matter as much. Like, you know, it's it's not uh, – he, he, you can see it on their faces. And he said – I mean, he used the quote, I think, something like, it, le- it left a mark. It leaves a mark, something like that. The exact quote he said about that Andrew's just referring to was, if you don't wake up in the morning not thinking about winning that game, you probably don't deserve to be in the program. And mm-hmm. something along the lines of, once you accomplish that, you can go on from there. Or, once we accomplish that, we'll go on from there. Something like that. To to And I think this is probably the right way to look at it because it takes, like, we were just talking before about the pressure of it. How has Ohio State handled the pressure of it? How has Ryan Day handled the pressure of it? How do the players handle the pressure? How does he handle it in game? The this is maybe going to sound counterintuitive. You can want to win the game just as much as you always have, while also understanding that the true pressure of it is going to be alleviated. It's just that that's what's going to change. That's what I've been talking about. How it's going to change. Like it, we talked so much, and it was a topic that we were all talking and writing about in the days leading up to the game, the finality that was there, like all this that we saw today where Ohio state was number one in the first playoff reveal and number two after that and goes in and loses a six point game on the road against a team that's now number one in the rankings and had the ball in its hands with a chance to win. And they were an afterthought today. An absolute afterthought on Selection Sunday. Nobody was talking about Ohio State. Georgia was still, you know, ESPN is still like there showing Georgia on Selection Sunday. Ohio State and Georgia are basically in the same place. But because Georgia was already, I guess, number one and actually got to play on Conference Championship Weekend, I think most importantly, they were somehow more in the conversation. And it was, this is the last year that whoever loses that game immediately drops down to afterthought tier. Ohio State was very fortunate last year that everybody else had two losses, and what we saw this year is really more of what Ohio State fans have grown accustomed to, which is like the one loss at the wrong time is what leaves you on the outside looking in. So next year, they will know, regardless of the outcome of that game, they will be in the playoff most likely, most years going forward. But I don't think that means you want to win it less. I think that means that maybe that will help them take, help most importantly Ryan Day, take the loose, aggressive approach into that game. Because you can go in with all of the emotion of wanting to win that game and know that it doesn't completely blow up your season if you don't win the game. That might be the best of both worlds that this coach and this program needs right now. You're right. He didn't look like a happy guy. And then when we were on a Zoom with uh, the head coaches of both Missouri and Ryan Day, and I mean, you noticed this. One guy looked like this is the greatest. Eli, Eli thing that looked like happen. the leader of a parade. Like the way yeah. that he was talking. And I mentioned this in our YouTube video. Like Ohio State was very lost to Michigan again. And yeah, we're going to, you know, it's a great game, the Cotton Bowl. It, it was very much said with like, you know what's the the meme where it's like you know you're like the you have like the mask on and behind you're really pissed and you put on the smiley face like that's oh, yeah. that's Ryan Day and that that just kind of felt like the mood today 
And then we talked to Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri and you listen to him. He's like, what's what they're saying that 80% of our tickets are sold and this is going to be a great game for us. Everybody can get there. It's like he, he was like marketing them the cotton bowl to the fans where he was just like convenient locations with direct flights out of Kansas city, out of Columbia, out of Missouri, anywhere that you can find flights to Dallas, you'll be able <laughs> to get there. Agent. He sounded like a travel agent. Like let's get yeah. these fans to Missouri and ha ha ha. This is the greatest day of our lives. And I've always dreamed of playing well, in the cotton bowl against a team like Ohio state and Ohio state's just sitting there like, yeah, whatever. Like it, it was a very interesting tone. Like Ryan day was not happy to be there. And Eli Drinkwitz, I, he, I think, like today might have been like the second most proud. Of, like, I don't know if Eli Drinkwitz does he have any kids? Because it's probably like wedding and then kids, and then he makes the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State. That was the vibe it's, that I got from him. Well, listen, it, it, it's funny to talk about Ryan Day being on the hot seat. Like Eli Drinkwitz knows about the hot seat. I mean, he was seventeen and nineteen coming into this year. Yeah, they lost the yeah. only two bowl games they played in. They qualified for one and. Uh, 2020, I don't think the game was actually played. So he was a guy that needed to turn his program around, and he did. And he was asked a question to, to kind of to get to the other thing I wanted to talk about. He was asked a question, and I was, I was, my, my time to ask him a question was coming up late in the process. I actually ended up asking him the last question. And a lot of things I wanted to ask him were getting picked off. And then two people before me, he was talking about how they did this, how they kind of made this turnaround to 10 and 2. And their first 10 win season since 2014. They haven't won a bowl game since 2014. This is a big deal for them to be in this position. And he's like running down the list of things and like all the stuff he changed. He's like, yeah, you know, it's realized it was time for me to grow and no longer call plays. I about shot out of my seat when he said that because I was like, all right, now we got something to talk about. So I asked him, "Yeah, hey, you mentioned that thing about you gave up play calling. He was an offensive coordinator at his previous stops. You gave up play calling. What was the biggest benefit that you felt like you got this year from doing that? And he went into it and great answer that I'm going to write about. So you can all read about it on the site for Monday morning. A great answer about they had a couple of coaches come in and talk to the team and he was just picking their brains. And he said, one of them reminded me college football coaching 18 to 22 year olds is 90% having your team motivated. And the previous two years, he was so worried about X's and O's that he forgot about having the mindset of his players ready each week. And also the mindset of the rest of his coaching staff and having a, the focus on the right things going into each game and having the plan to win as a staff. He used, I think, the term plan to win, which is taken straight from the Ohio State mantra, right? And, you know, he brought up a – and then, man, it was like – as for as much as their friends, it was almost like, is this like Dabo Sweeney has, like, put on an Eli Drinkwitz suit and is in here just saying things that he knows are like cutting right off at the knees. Cause he said, yeah, there was this key point in the season where we attempted a, a fake punt. I know all the credit goes to our special teams coordinator for drawing that up. But as a coach <laughs> in that moment, I was saying, yeah, let's do that here. I don't think as a head coach calling the offense, I would have been prepared to do that. And he said that those things kept showing up this season because he was more intentional and focused on managing the game and, um, and motivating his players and his staff. And I thought that was a very refreshing answer. And it's very interesting to contrast that with Ohio State because Eli Drinkwitz made that choice. A guy who's, whose identity is an, as an offensive coordinator is what got him to where he is. Has a great year at Appalachian State. Gets this Missouri job. It's a big deal for him. And then it's not going well. And he pulls the plug on it. 
because the results weren't there. They're five and five, six and seven, six and seven. They're just kind of spinning their wheels. And now it's, I know the SEC is tough, but that's still not going to get it done long term. So he makes that decision, and what happens? Ten and two. They lose to LSU. They lose to Georgia. But ten and two, like it, you're going to take that every year at Missouri. That's a that's a great year at Missouri. What happens with Ohio State? Ryan Day confronts this, sees that last year wasn't what he wanted it to be, says out loud, "Yeah, I think you know it might be time for me to give up play calling. I've got to consider it because there's just other things that I need to focus on." Doesn't do it. And now here we are another year where Ohio State is going to go play Missouri, which is a big deal for Missouri. It's not a big deal for Ohio State. They, they like the Cotton Bowl. It's good to be in a New Year's Six game. They know they're probably one of the four best teams in the country and should be playing in that other game. And uh, they should be playing in the playoffs. They know that on paper and by what they showed on the field this year, they belong to be in that conversation. And they were outside of it in every way today. Like they were completely off the national conversation in every way today. And I think Ryan Day has to revisit this concept. And the problem is, again, he has built his staff in such a way that I don't know that the easy answer is there as to who takes that over. Because I know everyone wants to just say, well, give the play calling to Brian Hartline, who's never done it. And I don't think it's as easy as doing that. I thought it was wonderful. Because every single point he kept making out with... That's an Ohio I, State problem. That's I an was, Ohio State problem. That's an Ohio. And like every point along the way for why he did it just matched up with the just like perfectly. Now, we'll say I, I, it has to be with the context of he was doing that with a second year starting quarterback and Brady Cook. So maybe that when you have that in place, you're more willing to do it. While Ryan Day, as we've talked about, Nathan, this is a first year starting quarterback. Do you really want to give up play calling in that year? So if Kyle McCord does hold on to this job, I'm wondering if he's more likely to do it. But like I said, that's a conversation for another day. But I thought the most important thing about how he phrased the question, phrased the quote, I don't have the full quote on me, but he said, to your point of planning to win the game, not planning to succeed on third down. That's the difference. Ryan Day yep. has to think about third and six during a Tuesday because he's calling plays on Saturday and not yep. think about, yo, are guys up here? I'm, I'm pointing to my head where they need to be to focus on the Michigan game. And so when you're so wrapped up in that, you have to sacrifice that other thing. And that's why, because it, it all correlated. It wasn't like a, a, a list of reasons that had nothing to do with why Ryan Day hasn't given a play calling yet. It was almost parallel to those reasons, which is why I thought it was perfect that he said it. And he, he pointed it out the way he did. I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, but like just watching the game this year and watching other Ohio State games, watching the game specifically, like plays are happening. A third down fails. He, Kyle McCord's coming off the field. Ryan Day's asking him, well, what did you just see? Meanwhile, there is a special teams thing happening out there. Ryan Day, mm -hmm. is he on the channel listening to that? Should he be? You know, you're getting ready to send the defense out there. I know you have a head coach of the defense, but you're also an offensive mind who could probably influence those decisions. And you're still like, Anytime somebody's got to yell at the official, which he should do as the head coach, he should get in those discussions with the officials. You've also got to call the play. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, it seems like a you've, you've unnecessarily complicated things. The time has come to make that move. And Eli Drinkwitz did it and maximized what his program could do this year. I think 10 and 2 is just about as good as yeah. Missouri could have been this year. 
LSU is pretty good. We know Georgia's good. Like that was going to be a tough thing to pull off to beat those two teams. But ten and two is pretty great. Ohio State does not look at this season as if it maximized itself, and it it won't probably no matter what it does against Missouri. So that'll wrap up this Monday pod. Like I said, Ohio State playing Missouri December 29th in the Cotton Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl, but no college football playoff this year. So we've got about, what, 25 days until that game kicks off. And so we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to be doing. Obviously, we'll look back at some point at all of our market downs as stuff starts to come come out as the mar- the All-American list and the Heisman Trophy finals come out. We'll look back at those market downs and see what we got right, what we got wrong. We'll do a deep breakdown into Missouri's offense and defense this month too before we before we get to that week of preparing for the game. But get the text, 614-350-3315. We're in the window. As, as you're listening to this, the transfer portal is open on this Monday. So we're sure that more transfer – People will probably be heading into the portal. There will be people to be keeping an eye on that maybe Ohio State might be targeting in the portal as well. Plus, signing days right around the corner. So get the text. I promise you. This is also – I feel like I say this every week where it's like, I promise you this is the best window. That's because there's not a, a bad window. There's actually their only good windows. Two-week free trial, three ninety nine after that, 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>